Bridge is on a gospel-led mission to transform the foster care landscape in Ohio. We're here to raise awareness and empower churches and communities to step into action by supporting vulnerable children and families in their local communities. In this podcast, we'll be shining a light on stories of hope, redemption, and transformation, and sharing practical ways that you can step in and get involved. Welcome to Restoried, a podcast by Hope Bridge. Welcome everyone back to Restoried, where we are shining a light and helping to rewrite the narrative for vulnerable children and families. And if you've been following along with us, you know that we've begun sharing our Mobilize Ohio 2024 speakers, and we've introduced them through podcast episodes. And so I'm just so excited to share our next speakers with you. I have Miranda and Darian Karenbauer with me today. Welcome, Miranda and Darian. Thanks for being here. Hello, thanks for having us. Hi. So I just wanted to give a brief introduction on them before we dive in too deep to their stories. But um, you may or may not know Miranda from Instagram. She has quite a following there where she shares um, about being a wife, a mom through foster care and adoption, and just the ebbs and flows of those journeys and what comes along with that. And um, Darian is with us today, one of her adopted sons, and he's a dad, a teen adoptee, um, an EMT. Am I right on that? I did some digging and just all around bright light in the world of foster care, adoption and advocacy. Um, He is connected to Lynn Johnson, who was one of our 2023 speakers and he has been a guest speaker at some of her all-in events across the country. So welcome and thanks for being here with me. Yeah, thanks for having us. Um, so I just wanted to share a little bit of background about how Hope Bridge found you guys. And um, you probably know this um, already, but last year at Mobilize, we had author Jolana Goble and Jennifer Bracken, and they're um, an adoptive mom bio mom duo. And Mm -hmm. so um, they were just such a a fan favorite. Our attendees loved their story and them sharing about their relationship. And so when we started brainstorming for speakers for this year, we knew we wanted another really powerful duo. And um, it was around that same time that your Archibald Project video came out. And I remember watching that and I just was like sobbing through it. It's such an impactful, beautiful story. And um, one funny part was at the beginning, Darian, I remember you sharing about how you were reading their family profile and you were like, Newcastle, I'm not going to Newcastle. And that's where I grew up. And so that (laughs) really like caught my attention right away of like, they're talking about Newcastle, like it's this tiny little town in Pennsylvania. And so um, I just knew I needed to reach out to Miranda and talk more and kind of get your story and see if you guys would be interested. And so kind of the rest is history. And and here we are. Yeah. Well, we're excited. For sure. Grateful. (laughs) So with all of that said, um, I would love to spend a little time with each of you sharing a little bit about your individual stories. and then how God knit your stories together. So Miranda, what led you and your husband to foster care to begin with? 
and also specifically fostering teens and teen adoption? Um, so I kind of have always just known that I wanted to be a mom, but that it, I didn't really ever care to be a mom in the traditional way that I needed to give birth and all of those things. Um, so I always kind of knew adoption would be probably a part of my story and I knew there was a need, but I didn't know a ton. Um, and my husband just truly goes along with whatever is going on. Like, he's just like, okay, that's, that's what we'll do. Um, so we, when we were engaged, a pastor, um, spoke at our church that was also a foster dad and he shared about his journey and he shared the statistics and the numbers and all the things. And at that time I was like, oh, wow. Like I thought I was interested in adoption overseas. Cause I think that is such like a, everyone knows that, you know, there's this need elsewhere, but a lot of people miss that there's a need in their own backyard. Yeah. Um, so I went home that day and we just looked and looked at all of the numbers and all the, the, um, waiting child's lists in Pennsylvania. And that was kind of when I was like, okay, well, when we do have children, this will like, we will be foster parents or we will adopt through foster care. So that was kind of like the beginning of that conversation. Um, and at that time we still kind of thought like, oh, we'll have littles like older than babies, younger than teens, kind of like middle, you know, preschool, school-aged kids. Um, But that conversation of foster care and adoption lasted about seven years for us because we were always waiting to be ready to do it. Um, And so over that course of time, we just, we started to, you know, obviously be praying about it and just plugging into different people and organizations. And the more that we did that, we started to learn about the need. which was not necessarily preschoolers or, um, and, you know, school age, there's the, all of these things are still needs, but we started to learn of how many teens were truly just not even being like attended to in the system. Um, and so as we prayed through that more, we just started to realize that our hearts were for teens. Um, and at the time, God was like creating this story um, for my husband where he was a youth pastor and I was a youth leader. And we were like, oh, like we're also so good at teens. Like that's our thing. So that's kind of where we landed as far as um, that goes. That's kind of our story of where we were led. So I love that. And I love that your church was talking about foster care because um, I would say that's not always the common story. We have a lot of foster and adoptive families that were connected to us, an organization that feel completely unsupported by their church and that their Mm -hmm. church has no idea what they're struggling with or what they're walking through and aren't equipped to support them. And so to hear that that's where you first heard about it, that's really encouraging. So ironically, (laughs) I would like it to be encouraging, but ironically, um, that was the one and only time foster care was ever spoken of in our church. That was our previous church, but it was to us, it was such a God thing because the person who spoke there, we did, he was a guest speaker and he, I don't know if he went rogue or what, but we never heard from him again. God just planted Um, that seed and just let it start to grow. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So it was actually, it's kind of funny. That was the only time um, I did go on to make a foster care support group um, at that church because I also felt like, oh my gosh, this is so isolating. Um, But yeah, it was just a funny God thing because he was there and then he wasn't. (laughs) Yeah. It was meant just for you. Yeah. Yep. So Darian, I really want to hear your perspective as a teen in foster care. Um, Your videos share that 
it you were in for five and a half years. Is that accurate? Is am I right yes. on that number? Okay. So why were you stuck in this system for so long? Um, and what was different about the Karen Bowers when you met them and just how they were overall? Um, so I went into foster care when I was about 10 years old, and that place was supposed to be a pre adopt home. That was all talked about in my documentary, but I was there for about two years, I'd say. And then I went bouncing around and ended up in a detention facility. And after that, it goes into your record that you were in a detention facility, not necessarily for something you did just because you didn't have a bed or nobody was open to taking teens at that moment in that area. So once it was put on, on my record, it's it just shows like nobody really has the patience to actually dig into why I went into a facility like that. It was just he was there and that's who we grew him with. So that's why uh it was I I think I had such a long period of time. Also because I'm a teen, an African American teen at that. Um all those factors made it harder for me to get adopted and or have a stable placement. I did go through two adoption processes prior to the Karen Bowers and their hearts just wasn't there. So it was it was more just seeing my parents' hearts being fully invested in me versus invested in who I could be. They yeah. were in they were in every storm I went through or like every battle they wanted to help me with not necessarily did help or I let them into but they just reminded me that they were always there for me so just having that support no matter what made me feel as if they were different than anybody else and I'm grateful that I will say this again I'm grateful that those two didn't work out because I wouldn't be the person I am today nor would I know the people I know today yeah so. yeah and what um you know, you hear in this world of foster care and adoption a lot, like kids are resilient. And I hate that. I hate that phrase, but you can, you can hear the resiliency just in your story of you even having, you even giving them a chance after what you had already been through, you know, to have the heart to take another step of faith of, okay, I'll learn more about them. <laughs> that was not my plan at all. That was all God's plan. Yeah. 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 <laughs> That's amazing though. So you were in a detention facility, not committing a crime. And this is something that I feel like is one of those um pieces of information that until you are involved in the foster care system, it's something you could never believe to be true. So mm -hmm. share about that a little bit that um, because many of our listeners, they may not be foster parents or have that much experience with foster care to know that this happens to teens all the time, that there's not yeah. an open bed in an open foster family. And so then where do they go? Can I add, can I say something? Oh, you go, you go. <laughs> so I'll, I'll let you go. Yeah. Yeah. After this one. yeah. So three. Three out of my 10 sisters also went to a detention facility in their foster care stint of time. They're all teens. So just to look at one family and say, 
this happened to that one family, it, they can just show like the numbers, like four out of 10, like that was a four yeah. out of 10 moment right there. So mm-hmm. it's, it's just really, and like, I wasn't the only person in there that was, had children and youth services. It was a few others. Like, so I wouldn't say it's like an everyday thing because they'll have like resident facilities or like caseworkers will have you sleep in the hotel or like this or that. Yeah. But it is, it is a growing thing. It is becoming more popular. Mm Mm-hmm. I wanted to shed some light on what the referral looks like because this was kind of interesting to me. We were receiving multiple referrals from that same, um, they call it a youth center, detention center, um, and all of them were the same. So we like in order to even know anything about like who you're taking or anything, I mean, his literally said first name, last name, the date that he needed placement and where he was at. It didn't give any information on like, oh, he actually has no charges. He just, he needed a bed. Whereas like the same, you know, we, we did get other referrals from kids who did, who did have like different things, which doesn't make them any less adoptable in my opinion, by the way, but the referrals look the same. It's first name, last name it, and the placement date and where they're like, um, are at. So that was really interesting to me too, that like, there's no actual like, oh, we're good. At, at least in this situation, we're going to be advocating for this kid to get out of this place. Right. Either. It's just, oh, it, it really is a kind of oppressive situation. Yeah. So, so really mm-hmm. their referral has just simply given their name, mm-hmm. their age, and that they're in a detention center, mm-hmm. like labeled mm-hmm. them as that. Yeah. Right. Right. So sad. How, um, how long were you there? Um, I went there twice, so I'd say collectively about eight months. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I did spend one of my birthdays in there. That is one notable like time in my life. So right before you came. Sixteen. Yeah. Sixteenth birthday. The month before. The month before. Yeah. So just diving deeper into that, um, and and how you say what the referral looked like. So if there's a family out there listening who feels like they're called to fostering teens, but they are hesitant or fearful, um, they're hesitant or fearful and they, but they feel like God's calling them to this. How could you mm-hmm. encourage them to, because I would, I imagine getting that referral and they all look the same. You're just taking a giant leap of faith and saying, mm-hmm. I feel like this is the, this is the youth that we're called to. Can we have mm-hmm. some more information? I mean, is that what the process looks like? For us, it was a really big step of crazy faith because I I think if you're saying that this is where you feel called by God, then you have to trust that he is the one in control. And for a while, we were super hyper fixated on like, okay, is this going to be like, what if we say yes to the wrong one and no to the right, whatever. Um, And we were, we would go back and forth. And then my husband finally was just like, no. I mean, we are just going to say yes, because that's where we feel called and God is going to make the moves. Um, and that is it. Like, we're just going to have to trust that the kids, the kid that finally comes. And I will say that we said yes. It was during the pandemic. So like you'd say yes. And then they'd be like, oh, this kid like is in uh, quarantine. Sorry, he can't come. And then you'd say like, okay, they'd like pull back. And then they'd be like, yes. 
And then they'd be like, no, can you take this one? But you're going to have to quarantine two then. And so then you can't take another one. We had two beds at the time. It was like this crazy thing. So we said yes a lot of times in a lot of different ways. And God ultimately, like, and we said yes to Darian first. And Darian's caseworker at the time didn't answer us for like a month. Um, so in the course of saying yes to Darian, we also had been like talking. We were just getting all these referrals and nothing was happening, um, which was just to me like so affirming that God like yeah. had that totally handled. So, mm-hmm. yeah. I'd say, answer your question. Um, every teen, every child wants love. I can say that confidently. Everybody wants love. So if you were to love somebody, how would they treat you back? Not necessarily. They probably wouldn't just show you amounts of love, but they're going to give you the smallest bit to show that they appreciate and then you keep going. It's like little breadcrumbs and then you get to the bigger piece and you get to the bigger piece and then you get to the, you find your way back. And it's like everybody, anybody that goes to a situation like foster care or being put in a detention facility, they're going to have a cold heart coming out of that. Mm-hmm. They're not going to trust. They're not going to want to trust. They're not going to want to be loved, but they're going to want to be loved. Like a human's nature is to be loved. So Yeah, deep down. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I just say everybody has a chance. Mm-hmm. I never count any human out for any circumstance. So mm-hmm. it is that leap of faith, but also just know that they can change your mind or really yeah. wow you. I'm not saying everybody, but it's that one that if you say yes to, you never know. That yeah. might be your lifelong bestie. <laughs> yeah. And, and you guys sharing your story, you have no idea how many people it could impact and um, the families that you could encourage to take that leap of faith, because mm-hmm. um, there are so many misconceptions tied to fostering in general and then you add in the complexities of, um, you know, referrals without all the information and and having a bed at a detention facility. It it just adds to the mountain of of doubt and fear for families. And so, um, yeah, just sharing your story it speaks volumes to, um, you know, not that every ending is this rainbows and butterflies, but. There are redeeming stories and um, there are so many beautiful stories that come out of adoption through foster care. And so, um, yeah, we've just, every time we play one of yours for in like a staff meeting, everyone's just in tears. (laughs) (laughs) Me too, honestly. I'm like over here weeping when you talk. (laughs) So, um, my husband and I, we actually just closed our home in October. We we were foster parents for eight years, but we um, we mostly only had littles. And um, so we adopted our third adoption in September and we closed our home in October. But um, I mean, with that, there's common misconceptions. You know, I will get too attached. I can never give him back. All the things that come with foster care. Um, and so I just said that. Uh, then it compounds as you add in all these other complexities. What are some of those common misconceptions that you have heard or even common concerns that you wrestled with, Miranda, as you guys were stepping into this and and perhaps you were proven wrong or some of the misconceptions that you heard along the way that were proven wrong as you actually 
put boots to the ground and stepped out in faith and did what God was asking you to do? Um, The most common thing that I got while we were getting certified and we would, you know, say like, oh, no, actually, like our age range is 13 and up. People would immediately and it was almost every conversation. It wasn't just sometimes. Aren't you scared? (laughs) And I'd be like, what? (laughs) Like, have you ever met a 13 year old? Like, no, I actually don't feel scared (laughs) at all. But that was really common. And this whole teens are scary or like, you know, dangerous narrative um, was, I I think probably is the biggest misconception that I hear for teens in care. Um, We actually, I don't know, it was just so God because I never felt scared. Like I really didn't ever. I just always felt like I would play like worst case scenarios and, you know, like, I don't know, don't watch like too many documentaries that that'll like do it for anybody in any part of the world you can get scared of. Um, but like, I would hear those and then, sorry. you want to talk? No, okay. I was going to ask Okay. Um, but we would like, I would think about worst case scenarios and then I would just be like, I just, I don't know. I feel like we're going to be equipped for whatever. Cause this is where God called us. And, um, most oftentimes it's really not the worst case scenario. Like that's kind of, I have a feeling I'm going to steal your thunder if I keep talking. Yeah. Yeah. You go. So so the adolescent brain, if you're telling an adolescent or a child or a teenager that they are something, they're going to continuously hear that. And they're going to continuously believe that about themselves, which is going to make them ultimately that person that you're telling them they are. Mm -hmm. I was not going to say that. That was so good. It was. Okay. Yeah. I was going to say, I was going to say what you usually say, which is you don't often see like the good stories in the headlines. You mm-hmm. don't hear of the good stories. You hear of the hard ones. So um, I don't know. I guess my like constant thing is just it. It isn't really all that scary. It truly, everybody's kid turns into a teen. Um, so yeah, so we don't ask them if they're scared. Right. Um, it, can trauma be really difficult to parent? Like absolutely, and that's absolutely true of any age i will say that right now my two-year-old is my absolute hardest kid, <laughs> and i mean it <laughs> same same yeah. i have a two-year-old <laughs> i love him so much and he is my hardest child to bear <laughs> so yeah i kind of went yeah, off. yeah there's no like that. reasoning and talking through with the two-year-old like you could a teen uh-huh. you know you can actually yeah. have a conversation and talk through what you're struggling with and what's hard and yeah 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 And what Darian said is so true because, I mean, that's even been true, like in our home, I'm guilty of like, you know, starting a conversation with the wrong wording to where my kids immediately feel shut down because I'm already thinking this one thing and that's not the true thing. You know what I mean? So if you are like, if we're labeling kids as scary or dangerous, like that's kind of where we're going to land. Yeah. Like I might've got suspended when I was like in seventh grade because I got into a fight or something. But also, you didn't understand that two years ago, something happened in my family that I was unfortunate. And that was the anniversary of that day. And somebody said something that set that off. And, you know, so you never know why that happened. You just know it happened and they got in trouble for it. And that's it. And then you're like living in the chains of that one time. And now, yeah, now it's harder to get out of that. Like, oh, you want me to be aggressive? I'm aggressive. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, that's so true. Just labeling. And the system does a good job of labeling kids um, Mm -hmm. because they, they write up, you know, their paperwork and, and there's just check boxes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. 
But then when you meet the the kids, you realize, oh, that's not who they are. It's something that happened to them. You know, it's not who they are to the core. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. um, yeah, but definitely a misconception that going into it or outsiders looking in don't have the full picture of um, the story that the child has walked through and how that impacts them. And yeah, so I love that. That's a very um, wise perspective. Everybody has a good heart. Just they're in dark places sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. We all can be. So um, we're going to link some of your stories in our show notes and there's no denying the beauty and the redemption in your adoption story, Darian. Um, But we know that it doesn't come without hardship or loss or times that were really hard. And um, so in the world of social media these days, I would say, and maybe you see this, you guys are both on there. There's so many naysayers towards um, foster families, specifically foster families that are adopting from the foster care system and how that's only laced with tragedy and loss. Um, but there's so many of us fighting to share the beauty of it too. And your your story and those that you've partnered with to do your videos have done such a beautiful job at sharing that in your story. And so families that are wrestling between those two places of this fear of, um, you know, the tragedy side of the story, but also wanting to shine hope into the future for their child. Um, What's something that you could say to those foster and adoptive families who are feeling the weight of that and that wrestling of there is loss and there is tragedy attached, but also there's so much hope because, you know, this child was picked for our family. God ordained this is as hard as it was to get here. Um, can you just speak into that wrestling? Because I feel like there's so many families out there in that space, especially families that have school-aged kids, teen kids that, um, you know, they have that conversation with them at home. And then they're hearing those same, they're hearing that kind of from the world that there isn't beauty in it. It's only loss and tragedy attached. I agree. Um, so there's definitely beauty in, in, in the loss as well. I'd say it's hard. It's definitely hard on the child to not lose that family gain. I say gain extended family because you have a bigger family now, mm-hmm. Depend, depending on your situation. There's a lot of situations where you just can't have that. And in those realms of those situations where you can't have your family or your right, the rights were terminated. You can't have contact. That is most likely for the better. And something happened there that is going to make that a better situation for the child. Even if the child at that moment's sad and crying for their parent and it's traumatic and it's going to hurt just like any other form of loss, but also just like any other form of loss, you have somebody that comes alongside you, picks you up and sits in that with you yet again um 
it is it's a hard subject to talk about because not everybody has the same situation so somebody's situation might just be poverty or somebody's situation might just their parent might be incarcerated it's more the child than the situation that you need to focus on because you lose somebody okay like you're sad the child loses their parent it's it's you know what i'm saying you know what i'm saying here it's like it's harder but at the same time you're also gaining a parent so you're replacing one with one and that child might not know that in the moment or might not understand that but later on in life they're going to get to that point of understanding just like any other grieving moment i think um that I was literally just reading a whole debacle of a comment thread in an adoption group on Facebook where everybody was debating on something. Um, I actually stay out of those because a lot of times they give me just like massive anxiety. But um, this specific one, somebody said, I refuse to believe that God would make me lose everything I lost just to gain this. And so I think it's important to define that I don't think that God does that. I don't think God needed Darian to lose I just cry all the time. That's he had okay. Darian to lose who he lost. And and again, didn't lose. Extended family is what like he says and is absolutely true. But like needed Darian to go through everything just to gift me an adoption. That is absolutely not true of who of God's heart or who God is. But God also had to build everybody's character around. And like saw this innocent child in this place where like he could then make good from this. And I think that is the important thing to define. And that to me is the heart of adoption. Nobody's saying like, oh, I like, because I prayed so hard for this child, yeah, God took them from their family and gave them to me. That's not true. And that's not God's heart. And it's not hopefully most adoptive parents' hearts. Yeah. Um, but instead there is brokenness, there is loss in the world. And there shouldn't have to be kids that stay in brokenness and stay in that loss and and stay in their grief without the redemption story that is adoption. And I think that um, is how I've always looked at that because there are just like these opinions that go from one extreme to the next. And I think in the middle is where God's like beautiful redemption is. So, yeah, yeah. I love that. Yeah. Um, what has you shared that you have... 10 sisters was that yes do you have any brothers nope okay wow 10 sisters in one okay what did where are you in line second second okay so what has your um sibling relationship looked like through foster care and what does it look like now so when i went into foster care i lost contact with my three youngest sisters they were adopted out and they cut contact with everybody. Um, my middle sisters, they live with their grandmother because they're half sisters. And they um we we have contact, don't keep a lot of contact, contact when it's like needed. But um then my oldest three, my older sister and she's my Irish twin, so like next month we'll be the same age for a little bit. <laughs> um, we're the closest. We call each other twins because we're all we all look alike, and it's like so. That's my big bond of my like sisters, 
and I don't have relationships with all of them, but I think the ones that I think they God purposely put us all together in certain pods, like the three youngest, the middles, and then the three oldest. Like they, we all have each other, and the closest ones were together. So yeah, That's I. Cool. I hate that I don't have contact with my youngest sisters and my middle sisters. We don't really talk, but I'm I'm grateful that they're all in a place of Mm -hmm. thriving. I think um, that's a really important note for adoptive parents out there to not restrict contact with siblings. Um, Because that has been since what the entrance of foster care pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I just think of like, being a 10 year old and you had all these sisters and now you just only see one. Mm -hmm. Um, And so then when they got adopted, the tiniest ones, they, those were close adoptions, which um, I, I can understand the temptation in, you know, different ways with drama behaviors and all the things. Um, But that is just so much loss for everyone involved. So a little, a little note. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's one way we try to encourage the foster families that we're connected to is um, that same view, Darian, of like this, this can be an extended family. And um, we really encourage families when it's appropriate and safe, which, you know, we also dive into like, what does safe mean? Because everyone's definition (laughs) is different, but um, Mm -hmm. to pursue those relationships, because um, I just feel like we sometimes can put God in a box and we fear things that don't need to be feared. And then we're limiting the beauty of the story that he writes through it. Mm-hmm. Um, my my middle boys, um, they're biological brothers. And between the two of them, there's 14 siblings out there. And so we have relationship with some of them. Um, some of them more closely than others. And there's some that we don't have relationship with and um, just because of where they're placed and things. And it's been so amazing to see how God has built these relationships with some of them. And, um, you know, my two middle boys were babies when they came to us, but their oldest siblings, um, you know, they have a lot more memories. And so it means so much to them too, to have contact with, with our boys. And, um, and then my littlest that we just adopted, we have, um, a relationship with his, his biological extended family. And so like, really they've adopted us as family and, you know, his, his aunt is, coming for his birthday party next week. And, you know, his oldest sister just had a baby. And so he's an uncle at two. And so, you know, we just have this like beautiful mismatch of a family now. And um, it's when I rewind 10 years ago when we were thinking about becoming foster a family and I think about where we're at now as a family, it's more than I could have ever imagined. And I never would have written that story for us because it was too beautiful. You know, I never saw God making it that amazing. And Mm -hmm. it's through truly us just holding the kids loosely in our hands that God brought to us and, and just letting him build the relationships that were supposed to be built. And so, um, 
Yeah, I just love hearing about that you have those mixed relationships with siblings because that's that's kind of what it looks like for kids that get separated or who have large sibling, sibling groups like that. And it's so important to preserve those relationships and pursue them um, because I'm sure you like at least even knowing that they're there and having a way to connect to them if you want to. Mm-hmm. 100%. Yeah. Do you have any last encouraging words to our listeners who might be considering fostering or adoption um, or maybe they're in the thick of it? And um, specifically with your experiences with fostering teens, Darian, being a teen adoptee, what are some words of, words of encouragement for those specific groups of people out there listening today? You are a superstar. <laughs> Don't ever give up. Do not ever give up. No matter where you're at, post-adoption, pre-adoption, thinking about foster care, thinking about teens, thinking about just coming alongside and respite, thinking about helping families in any way they can. Just don't give up on that. Keep that flame lit. That's what's needed. We'll all come together one day and hold hands and talk about how great the world is. I love that. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. I mean, my encouragement would just be back to what I said in the beginning. If this is where God is calling you, he's going to equip you. And he is much bigger than, like you just said, like, this is so much more than I could ever imagine. Um, I'm not who I was when I started foster care and you don't have to stay the same, like who you are now, you're going to grow. And, um, you just have to allow God to actually do what he's calling you to. And if you never say yes, then he can't. So, um, just take the, do the crazy faith thing. Take the leap. That would be my encouragement. And we're always here to help. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Seriously. We love to, both of us love to answer DMs and all the things. So. Awesome. Well, we will link both of your um, Instagram handles in our show notes. And Mm -hmm. if you want to hear more from them, they will be um, our main stage speakers at Mobilize Ohio 2024. And they will be leading a breakout for us. So we're so excited to have them. And um, we'll be sharing more about them in the coming months as we lead up to the conference. So thank you so so much for being here today, guys. We're so excited to have you and share more about your story in April. Thank Thank you you so much. Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll see you next time on Restoried.